we have friends from Canada that visit sometimes, and they always bring the best board games with them. They're not specifically Canadian board games. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're Canadian. I wish it were, though. <laughs> um, they're just really good. This game is called Manaboot Town. <laughs> <laughs> so the latest ones were Blood Rage. Okay. Which... I've heard of. And here's a, every game you play, the theme being like having some uh, attachment to what it's about does not make you better at playing it. Uh, anyway, any more than being into fantasy makes you a good Magic the Gathering playing. Like that's a stats thing. Yeah, being into dragons and magic and stuff, you're like you don't stand a chance. Are the games more pleasant because you're playing them with Canadians? <laughs> is it more good spirited? <laughs> I mean this 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 game is about Ragnarok and we all had a great time. So like <laughs> it was it was a jolly apocalypse. Uh, yeah. A just Jolly a, Apocalypse. That sounds like a Canadian band name. A Jolly, Jolly. Apocalypse. We're just uh, trying to get to Valhalla, eh? <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of Arizona You painted a desert and called it my home You made an enemy out of blue and Welcome to another episode of Spoiler Peace Theater, the podcast that doesn't give a shit about spoilers. We just want to talk about the fucking movies. My name is Dave Riedel. I write for Salt Lake City Weekly and Fandor. Fandor. <laughs> Sorry, I got taken away with Fandor. I'm Chris Jensen, contributor at Civil Weekly, freelance writer in Boston, founder editor of Boston Real, and fan of Fandor. Mm. <laughs> My name is Evan Crean. I'm a contributor for NewEnglandFilm.com, the marketing director for Boston Real, and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. Congratulations on the publication of your tome. Thank you. Thank you. Buy that on Amazon now. Yes. Right now. Please do. Yeah, do that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I, I think I'll be doing that. You know, every time friends of mine write books, and I have a lot of friends who have written books because I guess my friends are high achievers, um, I buy their books because it's like, of course you're going to buy your friend's goddamn book. So I don't need a review copy, sir. Are you sure? Yeah. They're coming I'll, next week. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, on the show uh, today, uh, we've got Morris from America. We have Sully, a Riedel's Recaps with Don't Breathe, and then Evan and I will be discussing Sleepaway Camp, mm. 80s. I certainly – it's a cult movie. I wouldn't call the cult classic. There's nothing no, really classic about it. There's nothing classic about it. <laughs> but anyway, I thought because uh, you know Sully is a big swing and dick movie by a big swing and dick director. I don't know if it's a big swing and dick movie. I just know that Clint Eastwood's a big swing and dick director. I'm going to say that one more time, big swing and dick. <laughs> <laughs> Three times charm. Yeah, that's right. I think I would like to hear about it uh, from Chris because um, this is one of those stories that I feel like um, is probably – I'm going to guess – I'm not going to guess about plot or things like that, but when you read about Captain Sullenberger, he's the guy who was flying the jet from LaGuardia or JFK. I don't LaGuardia. Know, LaGuardia. And it was like, bird attack! And um, so he landed... Was it birds? Was it a bunch of... It was of, birds. Uh, birds. That's yeah. what I thought. Birds! He, he lands the plane in the Hudson, and everybody survives. I'm sure there were injuries. But... Um, this is one of those movies, uh, I kind of feel like it, it might be akin to uh, Fearless with, with Jeff Bridges, where like the survivor story is like, fucking weird. So anyway. That would have been cool. Mm. What you have is instead, just imagine American Sniper just with no actual deaths. Oh. Uh, and mm. with somebody who is not politically controversial. So everything that does work <laughs> about American Sniper works about Sully. Everything that doesn't work about 
American disregarding their plots, mm-hmm. all of like the key components. It's basically the same movie. It's it's very strange. It mostly lives so it has the flashbacks to action and it focuses on the after effects of of a defining moment in someone's life uh, and the 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 difficulty adjusting back and forth having to both relive it and move on at the same time that's the that's the stuff that i liked about american sniper uh, and then the stuff i didn't like is when they like it, they just invented enemies in iraq <laughs> right <laughs> this sniper guy who runs across roofs and doesn't have any lines and that guy with the drill uh, even if they're based on real people, I fucking doubt it. I really doubt it. Well, they're probably amalgams, right? If they are, they're either amalgams or outright inventions. Uh, just like a lot of Chris Kyle's autobiography that it was based on, which had to be redacted. We don't have to relitigate Chris <laughs> Kyle's biography, although he was full of shit. But anyway, this is another way thing it does have in common with is that this is based on Sully's book. Mm-hmm. Sully, a lot less of an incendiary figure. You uh, don't say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one big difference, of course, is is Sully doesn't like he doesn't play up his heroics. He plays up the team element where Chris Kyle was like, I did everything and I punched everybody. Yeah. <laughs> does uh, does Sully have an accent? Uh, not as portrayed. <sighs> he has a slight. You show that you see the real Sully during the credits and he has a slight one. That's fine. Like, Tom Hanks. He has a very captainly manner. So even if he does, I think he suppresses it in order to be non-regional and clear. Gotcha. Tom Hanks isn't good at accents anyway. And let's be honest, when we see him, he's always Tom Hanks. So why not just play it as Tom Hanks? Yeah, which he does. Uh, he's he, very Tom Hanks. What's his accent? Like, uh, catch me if you can. That's a Tom Hanks accent. I would like to see Tom Hanks do a Maine accent. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> anyway. Didn't we already see that in Captain Phillips? No, that was no, Vermont. Oh, right. That was Vermont. Oh, I forgot he tried. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so bad in that. It wasn't so it, bad. It wasn't as but cartoony. It, it was jarring to hear it at the beginning. You're like, oh my God, Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And then... Uh, you, don't get, you don't get lost in it. It's just like Tom Hanks is talking weird. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks like got punched in the temple last night or something, and now his speech is all funny. <laughs> so. so other things... Uh, Sienna Miller was the wife in American Sniper, whose job was mainly to cry over the phone about how both worried and proud she was about her heroic husband. Yeah. And that's what Laura Linney does in this movie, oh, except they, they don't even have any actual scenes together. She's just it, it's like he called Laura Linney. He's like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Well, which she, is kind of what she they was did with Sienna in, Miller. She was in another Clint Eastwood movie, which uh, Absolute Power. Is that what it's called? With I have Ed Harris. Right. And yeah, she's in that one. Hmm. Yeah. She plays Clint's daughter. Ed Harris, isn't that? Yes, he plays the guy who is sort of um, uncovers the whole like Gene Hackman, the president, like killed a woman. Hmm. Good old Ed Harris. <laughs> yeah. You can always count on him. You can always count on him. Uh, so I'll stop with the comparisons there. I think they'll naturally come out more as I describe the movie. So the movie starts out. So Sully's having flashbacks to the event. Mostly he has sort of visions of what if he what if what if it went wrong what if he ended up crashing into the city so the movie starts out with like the plane crashing into a building exploding and then he wakes up and it's what it is is this is this is what's going through his head and what he's dreaming as he's uh talking to the ntsc which i'm not i don't remember what it stands for but it's the the people who investigate these sorts of things because yes he saved everybybody's life but there is a plane that was lost do you mean the ntsb yes National Transportation Transportation Safety Safety Board. Board. Thank you, guys. Yeah. (laughs) My Uh, college roommate's dad used to be the vice chair. So (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> randomly. There you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, what's he? What, should we give him a call? Uh, no, but I did interview him once for a story when I was in uh, when when I was a reporter, and he was very forthcoming. Hmm. So, awesome. Yeah. Well, they're the villains in this movie. Uh oh. Unnecessarily, <laughs> I should add. I think this whole movie straight unnecessarily Sully should have been the name of this movie. <laughs> um, the movie re- so. Basically, what happened is that you know it's it's him and Aaron Eckhart. Eckhart is Jeff, his co-pilot, and they're in a hotel. Jeff is my co-pilot. Jeff is my co-pilot. <laughs> uh, they're in a hotel, and it's them sort of dealing with uh, like why are we being invested? Why are we? Why are they trying to find out what went wrong with everything went right? Sort of thing. And all of a sudden, this newfound fame uh, and being here, like by by day, going on David Leonard, and by night having to defend their or the other way around. But so like having sure. to that sort of conflict and it starts off kind of strong mm-hmm. uh, and I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the contentious scenes uh, during the investigation board. I can imagine how a routine investigation could be a really trying experience for somebody who saved the day. Yeah. And then they have to revisit. Well, what if you did this? What if you did this? Well, our computer uh, models show that this thing was actually not the case. Like, what do you say? So how how do you defend what everybody else is praising of, hmm. about something you did? That's that's where it starts. Where it goes is that the, is that the NTSB? Excuse me. I'm sorry, NTSB. Don't tweet at me angrily <laughs> if that's what you do. Like Merriam-Webster, follow the Merriam-Webster. They do not give a shit. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, they no. get in fights, uh, and so eventually they turn into like, "Er, Sully, hmm. we're out to get you." This and that's of- that's that's where the movie really goes astray is that the flashbacks to the flight itself, especially since the day before I had just had a turbulent flight and like the sense memory of the sound of a plane and what what that all feels like. That was very strong for me. Uh, and then the flashbacks to the actual event on the plane, the 208 uh 208 seconds. That's really gripping stuff. Mm. And then it just, it starts to wobble. It, it realizes like three quarters of the way through, it doesn't actually have a point. Ah. And then, so then it ends with this like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a Bart Freundlich movie. Right. Anyway, sorry. Uh, and then it ends on a non note and then has on screen text again, exactly like American sniper about like the best of New York came to whatever. It's not even a factual epilogue. It's just like everybody who helps is great. And you should really, I mean, yes, they are great, but like, you don't need to tell me that. Sounds like a shit movie. It's, uh, I mean, I mean, Clint Eastwood kind of makes shit movies now. So sorry, Sean, (laughs) (laughs) it looks great. It sounds great. Um, it's 90 minutes, right? It's 90 minutes. So it's it's not overstaying its Whoa, welcome. Whoa, that is a short Clint Eastwood movie. I know. I was taken aback when I saw that. And it front loads all of its positive qualities. The only short movie, Clint Eastwood movies I can think of off the top of my head are Joe Kidd at 88 minutes <laughs> uh-huh. and The Deadpool at 91. Sean, help me out. Are there others? Anyway. <laughs> um, so oh, Yojimbo. Not Yojimbo because that's what they were ripping off. Fistful right. of Dollars. That was short. That was like... An hour and 35 minutes. So that's sort of what happens in the movie. Performances are good. They look good. In you know, the, it, It's shot on IMAX, and it's not shot unnecessarily on IMAX. It does really look good. Okay. So are the plane uh, – so aside from your personal like recent experience in a plane, <laughs> would, you fi- would you think that the plane crash sequences are 
well done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you see it from a variety of perspectives. Uh, at different points in the movie, you're in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, then later on, you're uh, w- with uh, air traffic control from their point of view, what it looks like when they when a plane goes off radar. And then you're not getting a response from the pilot. And then from the passenger's point of view, and then from the point of view of somebody in, in an office building looking at a plane going like, down. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And so all of those angles are are explored. Uh, you see them. Hmm. Like imagine somebody somebody on a boat in the Hudson looking at a plane. That plane's coming down. Hmm. And it's just going. They never – there's one – the most specific reference to 9-11 comes from uh, somebody. I think he's with uh, with the union – um, he says, you know, it's been a long time since New York has had any uh, good news, any news this good, especially about an airplane. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when it, when it crashes into a building, you can't help but bring up those kinds of feelings. Uh, when, when, when you see inside Sully's brain imagining what if what if you screwed up? So all those different angles, you meet some of the passengers. Uh, I wish that part had been better, too. You, I, I like the idea of becoming hyper aware of every individual moment because that's sort of what the investigation board is doing. Um, and so then, if you're if you uh, spend time with all of the people, you can follow what it must have felt like to not know that you weren't actually crashing. You didn't you didn't know about a water landing. You didn't know how good your chances were. You just hear brace for impact, and you hear the flight attendants yelling, uh, "Stay down!" Um, and Except that the passengers, it's the only passengers you really meet are this family who are, or this like father and son and their friend who are going on a golfing trip and they just talk kind of broishly. And they're not the people who I wanted to get to know the most. There's somebody who jumped into the water in a panicking moment, uh, which I'm sure actually happened. Uh, there's actually a couple of people who, like, one, he tried to swim to shore until he got cold and he was also panicking and breathing so he had to go back there's somebody else who jumped in because they saw oil leaking out what they thought was oil so it's like we got to get away from the plane so she jumps and she had to get rescued from a helicopter those are the people i want to know their their process not these like guys in a golfing trip who are like yeah golfers aren't very interesting take it from a golfer (laughs) (laughs) but it's just they're just that's it those are the people on the plane that we met you know what it sounds like this movie could have used Denzel Washington from Flight. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. About what if this movie? What if he were flying that plane? <laughs> what if he was the co-pilot? Yeah, that would have really complicated things. Denzel yeah. Washington is my co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Denzel and Tom Hanks fighting oh, over the plane. How awesome would a movie? Are there any movies starring Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks? Not to my knowledge. Uh, Philadelphia. Fuck. Oh, that's right. How the hell? How did I forget that? <laughs> like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I am glad you were here, Evan. Oh, wow. You know why? Because Philadelphia is not that memorable. And it well, was... I think you guys were like, is there any good action movie or yeah, something? Yeah, that's what yeah, I was yeah, thinking. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, – I just honestly I just forgot the 90s happened. Sometimes I'd like to forget the 90s happened. Uh, but what I was going to say was, uh, you know how The Magnificent Seven is coming out and it looks like it could be pretty tight? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be shit. Well, Fuqua directing – Denzel Washington. Denzel and Ethan Hawke, you know, Guaranteed. Pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But what if you had like, not like the bullshit Expendables bullshit, but what if you had like <laughs> real movie stars who weren't washed up? Sorry, Stallone. <laughs> and, you know, you had Denzel and um, Tom Hanks, aside from Philadelphia. <clears throat> and you also had some young whippersnappers. I mean, I know Chris Pratt is in Magnificent Seven, but like mm-hmm. then you got Chris Pratt 
and then you have um you know i don't know kristen stewart and uh like why not throw her in there <laughs> and um help me amy ryan is in there and then like uh maybe um like carrie washington shows up and she's awesome you know like what if like what if you had that kind of thing going on <laughs> sure <laughs> but it were but it were about a plane crash <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sounds like real. Sounds like real awards bait to me. Yeah. If it was like a list of Adrian messages where like they're all wearing masks, and then who was this person, and that the and they all take off their masks, and that's who they were. Yeah. 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 Mystery <laughs> movie. Yeah. Bring those back. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Wait, were those a thing? I don't know if they were. If there were that many, there was at least the one. Well, there was Clue. You know where you didn't know. Yeah, but you knew who all the actors were. <laughs> well, sure, but you didn't know what the ending was going to be depending on where you saw the movie until you saw it on video and then you saw all three endings. Well, you don't know what the ending is going to be before you see it anyway. Well, that's true. <laughs> Unless you're me in which you figure out most endings of movies before you see them. Yes. So, and Sully witnessed. Actually, I didn't expect Sully to end on the... It ended with a joke by Aaron Eckhart. Uh, so they're they're doing the NTSB. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're in the investigation. And so I'll close this out. You know how this movie goes. You know what this is like. So they're at the board. And, uh, you know, the computer simulations have shown that Sully had... That he had enough time to turn around and land safely at LaGuardia. He didn't need to uh, risk passenger safety. First of all, every person survived. That's mm-hmm. a thing. One yeah. person had like a leg injury, but it wasn't severe. Uh, <laughs> One guy went swimming for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't severe. <laughs> um, then it turns into, um, you know, while these simulation pilots, they, uh, you know, the moment the birds hit, they know to make this maneuver and turn around to LaGuardia. We had to go through procedure. We had to assess the risk, what we were actually facing before we decided so you know you're you're doing all these things without giving them a 35 second delay uh before you have to make a snap decision and then that's when the computer simulations start to fail after a 35 second delay that's when they start crashing into stuff ah. and so it, it, it's it's like ha gotcha except Sally it was doesn't right. seem like that much of a reach to me like trying to land in the water sounds safer than trying to land on a fucking runway where your plane could hit the ground and just like blow up sure well i also <laughs> like i'm sure this investigation it, this everything about this investigation was probably routine yeah i can understand the emotional distress of having to be grilled like this but i don't think somebody was like sully you could have landed. You know it. Yeah, like, this explaining is, to do. This is just like here's what our data is pointing to. Let's talk. Let's like let's assess. You, nobody has an agenda. I'm sure of it. Uh, but that's what it turned into. And then it it was like the Rocky Balboa where he's talking before the the boxing certification board, and then he gives this big speech, and all the guys are like, "Oh no, we have to give. We have to let Rocky fight." That's what that moment's like. <laughs> Even and it's and then the, the the joke with Aaron Eckhart was like, uh, Jeff, whatever his last name is. They call they don't call him Jeff. They call him Mister Whatever. Uh, so Jeff, <laughs> if you had to do this all over again, what would you have done differently? He says, Well, I would have done this in July, and everybody laughs. Yeah. And then it's the on-screen text. It's a fine joke, <laughs> but it's it's very. I think Clint Eastwood oh, needs to. Oh, Jeff, that's such a Jeff comment to make. I think he needs to start. Uh, like an Alfred Hitchcock Presents style show instead of making feature length movies about these people because he's padding it with way too much. Yeah. And then that sort of thing would have been, been great on an hour long episode of a TV show. Instead, you have a movie with a lot of stuff that doesn't need 
uh, distracting you from what it actually does well. Because American Sniper did stuff well too. It just had all this other crap. Yeah. You know what Clint Eastwood really needs to do? Be faithful to one woman. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so uh, I thought this would be a good time. And that woman should be Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought this would be a good time to bring up uh, uh, my my visioning, as my French teacher in 11th grade would have said, of don't breathe. Riedel's recaps. Don't breathe. <laughs> I bring this up because a couple of weeks ago, Chris saw don't breathe, and there was the turkey baster scene, which took him out of the movie and he couldn't get back into it. And I have this to say, sir. It did not take me out of the movie, and I got back into it. So, we agree to disagree. <laughs> Otherwise, I pretty much agree with you on everything. No. Oh, yeah. Cool. So. I've had a lot of conversations since then, uh, and I'm okay being in the, like... You're kind of an outlier from the people I've spoken to. They're like, yeah, it was gross, mm-hmm. but, you know, yeah, you know, that's kind of what I've gotten and, from men and women. Yeah, so. men and women, and also, like, feminist-leaning film outlets that I do read have also not reacted the way I did. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Yeah. But this whole no, thing no. is about a conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, so I accept your apology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was another episode of Riedel's Recaps. Um, so let's move on to Morris from America, Evan. Sure. Uh, Morris from America is a coming-of-age movie. Oh, wait a minute. This is by the guy who did This is Martin Bronner. Bronner? Yes. That's a great movie. I have not I seen it. I love that movie. Is it good? It is. I'm not even bullshitting. When I used to write for the Santa Fe Reporter, they um, you know, have those – it's basically – I mean there is a very big you know, like regal cinema with like 17 screens or whatever. Mm-hmm. But all of the rest of the movie theaters in Santa Fe are pretty much like art house cinemas and there's a shitload of them. There's one at the university. There's one over here. There's the one that fucking George R. R. Martin owns mm-hmm. and they always show these tiny ass movies like This is Martin Bonner – and, or Bronner. I can't remember if it's Bonner or Bronner. Um, we will find out in a second. But, uh, so I, there was a period of time for like three or four years there where I saw all of these tiny micro-budget movies, some of them very, very good. Um, Bonner, you were right. Bonner. <clears throat> so anyway, that it's man. just interesting to see that the writer-director of This is Martin Bonner is doing another movie. Yeah, that man is Chad Hartigan. Chad Hartigan. <laughs> Yum. And I don't even know what to say to that. I would say he's made another good one. Another good movie. I like Morris from America. Well, you haven't seen this as Martin Bonner, so you don't know if it's good or not. I'm I'm taking you at your word. Yeah, it's good. Which can be dangerous, but I'm doing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so Morris from America is a coming-of-age movie. It's about a kid and his father who moved to Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He should have said the Germany part at the end. I know. I should have saved it to the end, but it's, it's hard not to talk to about it. So now he has to go to Germany all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I've told you about the, the friend I went to grad school with who I swear to God, she's German. And I swear to God, she said, yeah, at the end of every sentence. Yes. I yeah. would. Okay. <laughs> if I was German. So, I, I, so we, we should go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, getting back to Morris from America. It's about a kid named Morris who's 13. And he's from America. He is from America. He's played by Marquise Christmas. That's his name. <laughs> Christmas is his last name? Yep. Shouldn't, According his to name be, shouldn't his first name be Lloyd? Lloyd Christmas? Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> Maybe. But then it wouldn't be called Morris from America. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Morris is 13. He's moved to Germany with his dad, who's played by Craig Robinson. 
oh. who is really fantastic in this movie. Is this a drama or a comedy? It is a drama. It, yeah. It's There's a little comedy. There's some light comedy, but it's definitely much more drama. I think that, that Craig Robinson is probably, and this is based on nothing other than a gut feeling, is probably a guy who can do just about anything. He is really fantastic in this movie. He is a soccer coach, so that's why if they've moved to Germany, he's They're coaching a soccer coach team. The German national team, yeah? No, not quite. Nine. No, he's coaching like a small team that's not even particularly good, but he. There are no small teams in Germany. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I mean, so the whole movie, it takes place over a summer before school starts, so it's about Morris trying to fit in in Germany and kind of learn German culture and learn German and his dad also trying to fit in and trying to cope because um, Morris's mother has passed away and he's a widower. So it's, it's more about Morris than it is about um, his father, Curtis, but there's definitely emphasis on Curtis and his loneliness and inability to kind of fit in. Like there's scenes where he's out at a bar with people and trying to, have a good time or there's a scene right in the beginning where it's actually the very beginning of the movie where him and Morris are sitting there listening to music and they're talking about rap music and, and they're having a disagreement. And so (laughs) Curtis says, you're grounded, go to your room. And then it cuts to him sitting at the table in the dining room, futzing with his phone, and then he drops it down and then goes up and he's like, you're ungrounded. Let's go do something. (laughs) (laughs) So he he has that kind of good-natured relationship with the son. Like What I like about him as a character, as a father, is that he can be stern and he he knows when, when it's important to be a father and when it's important to be a friend. I think he has a good balance of those things. So It's never okay to be your kid's friend. <laughs> you are an authority figure first and foremost. <laughs> I think he does a good job of balancing the two roles. So Morris's thing is that he wants to be a rapper, but he doesn't really know much about it. Like He listens to a lot of rap music and he does some rapping on his own. He writes a lot in his notebooks, um, but you find out somewhere in the middle that he's, he's not particularly good at it <laughs> like I know he, that just, feeling. he just raps a lot he raps about things that he thinks he should be rapping about like sex like he has this rhyme about doing two women at a time and his dad finds the notebook later and he's like no just no <laughs> <laughs> he's like no you're just not doing this um you need to rap about what you know and what you know right now is not doing two women at a time. <laughs> so it's it's about him like wanting to be a rapper. It's about him learning to be learning German. He has a German teacher whose name is Inka, and she takes an interest in him and try and encourages him to like make friends and go out. And there's a scene later where she finds his notebook with all these explicit rhymes, and she takes it to his father and tries to basically get him in trouble. And this is another – this is a really great scene with Craig Robinson where he says – he looks and he's like, why don't you worry about teaching him German and I'll worry about making sure he's raised properly. Mm-hmm. And it's a great scene where, you know, like if you've ever had moments where your parents stuck up for you in a situation where like someone I, – I don't know if you had that happen, but I feel like there were definitely times in my life where my parents were like, no, don't tell me how to raise my kid. Mm. And I appreciate that. appreciate when a parent's willing to go on the line like that. Mm. I'll let you know if it ever happens with Henry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then one of the other things is, of course, Morris meets this girl um, named Katerine that he likes, who is older. She's 15. Oh, my God. Scandal. I know. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) And so he is 
you know, he's crazy about her and kind of follows her around and she's kind of mean to him, but kind of nice to him. It's a weird dynamic where she does nice things for him and mean things to him. Like in the beginning when she invites him to a party and then takes a squirt gun and squirts him in the crotch in front of everybody. And then he kind of like runs away because he's sad about that and embarrassed. So she's a typical teenager. Yeah. Typical teenager kind of teasing him and toying with him because she can, like she's seeing an older guy, but at the same time she does a nice thing for him. Like, she convinces him to sneak out when his dad like leaves him home alone to uh go on go like out with the band that this older guy is is playing with and she actually gets him an opportunity to go up on stage and rap and when he does when he does finally like get up there and get the courage and starts rapping about stuff that he knows he's actually good is it in (laughs) german or in english it's in english okay but people like what he's doing because he's rapping about like being a kid and not fitting in and things that are relevant to him, not doing two chicks at the same time. And it's good. <laughs> that might be relevant to him in the future. It might you be. You never know. Never know. So that's the movie. It's really bright, like bright cinematography. I think part of it is it takes place during the summer. I think part of it is just the aesthetic that the movie has. It's very bright, warm, kind of just upbeat kind of movie. It definitely has kind of an honest thing to say about growing up and being a teenager and the awkwardness of it. Like there's this one scene where Katerine forgets her sweater or something. It's a really awkward scene where he takes it home and then like wraps it around a pillow and then like makes out with the pillow and kind of humps it. And it's weird. That is weird. It is very weird. It's a weird scene to include in the movie, but it seems weird enough that you're like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> Kids do weird stuff. <laughs> you got to do weird stuff before you realize, hey, that's kind of weird. I should stop doing that. And uh, the music in the movie is good. It's, it's, it's hip hop. And it's really well edited into the movie. Like in terms of setting the mood and setting the scene, there's this particular scene where Morris goes to the museum, goes to a museum and he's listening to music in his headphones and he's noticing that in in his head all the things around him are starting to groove to the music like there's people just walking and looking at stuff and nodding their heads and walking to the beat and like some of the paintings and the statues are starting to move to the beat so it's it's fun it's mm. it's drama but nothing too heavy and it's just a fun movie i liked it okay sold yeah i'll definitely see it and i would also recommend uh this is martin bonner which stars one of the lesser known arquettes also so richmond arquette richmond, richmond. arquette <clears throat> hmm? I just said Richmond. Yes, Richmond. Kind of like hmm. Fendor. Fendor. Fendor Arquette. <laughs> Richmond. Richmond. Rich- <laughs> so now for the coup de grace. Um, Evan, uh, because I don't even remember why we got on the subject of doing a horror movie. I know that, that in your book, mm-hmm. uh, you guys wrote about Sleepaway Camp. You wrote about lots of horror movies. Right. One of them that you wrote about was Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, there's a few chapters on how to survive an 80s horror movie, and right. there are various rules, um, fairly obvious ones in, in some instances. I think Sleepaway Camp Sleepaway doesn't Camp. really play by all of the rules. No, though. it definitely does Because like you don't need to bone to get killed in Sleepaway Camp. No, you don't. You can just get just be a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Well, also be a weird, creepy child molester that everybody thinks is kind of funny, except for the person who scalds him with. Does he get he doesn't. Yeah, he gets scalded. scalded, He gets scalded. Yeah. Anyway, so you just saw it yesterday. I did just see it yesterday. And I'll just interject. (laughs) This is one of the strangest. 
Actually, it's really not all that strange. It's just got one thing. There are two strange things about it. The opening scene and the closing scene. Mm -hmm. So have you seen it, Chris? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, Oh, good. So you can jump into it. Good, good, good. Awesome. Yeah. The opening scene. Yeah. It's so it's a father and his two kids, a boy and a girl, and they're kind of splashing around in a lake. And there's some teenagers who are driving by in a motorboat with the kid water skiing on the back. <clears throat> and the of the kids in the boat, this girl takes control of the boat and in a completely preventable accident, drives straight at the father and his two kids with the boat, running them over with it, killing the father and killing one of the kids. But you don't really see clearly which of the kids is dead. Well, also, yeah, if this you see a boat coming toward you at like... Four knots. I mean, it's barely moving when you're watching this movie. It's just fucking but like, there's plenty of time to stop or to turn in the just, movie, which is what's so silly about it. It's a lake, right? Yeah. So it's not like the salt water is going to get in your eyes. So dive down 10 feet, swim over to the pier, and then come up. I mean, how hard is it? <laughs> you know? Anyway. It's, yeah. So entirely preventable. And then it cuts. Well, technically the opening shots are of this camp, Camp Arawak. And it's just shots of the empty camp with like ambient sounds of the kids at the camp with no one actually at the camp and you see it's for sale yeah then this boating accident then it cuts to eight years later <laughs> where eight years later where uh a woman is sending her son and his cousin angela who you assume is one of the children yeah <laughs> the surviving child <laughs> to camp although to it's camp never Arawak. really ma- is i mean it's not made explicit then right it's made explicit later that she's one of the survivors in like a flashback right? yeah 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 it just, this movie has some fucking weird ass flashbacks <laughs> yeah the flashback i mean and the flashbacks like it's like they're from a different movie too because yeah I, I wouldn't describe the performances in this movie as naturalistic because the acting isn't good enough for there to be naturalistic performances but it's like the the woman who plays the aunt is like seriously in like a demented fairy tale compared to everybody else. She has these really strange vocal patterns and this really obnoxious grating voice that I'm like, can you please get off screen? She reminds (laughs) me of Mary Gross from like the mid-80s non-Lorne Michaels Saturday Night Live, Mm -hmm. like a character she would play, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway. Anyway, so they go to camp. Um, There's Ricky and then there's Angela, his cousin. Yep. And she is really strange. She doesn't really say anything to anybody. She stares at people blankly quite often. And there's a lot of shots of her staring blankly at people. And so kids at the camp don't like her and they pick on her. And, well, you can guess what happens. People start dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the first of those people is this really creepy molester guy who works in the kitchen who tries to trap her in the freezer. Yeah, and everyone's just like, this is the thing that's he makes, fucked up about yeah. this movie. Everyone's just like, I like him young. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Jeb, or whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, they, I don't they know. think he's funny. So yeah. There's something funny about this guy. He's a fucking real pedophile. Yeah. Well, he does get everything burned off him, more or less, yes. with scalding hot water. With scalding hot water, which also, by the way, there's that hilarious shot of just his arms and his hands reaching up, going, ah! He's, like, screaming, and you just see a scald. There's this thing with hands in the movie, yeah. where you see, like, the forearms and the hands grasping at things in pain. And the movie has no idea of when is enough is enough to cut away from something. Yeah. And so you're just hearing screaming forever and seeing these scalded hands just clutching at the sky. Yeah, and you have to wonder, is this one of those movies where it's just made incompetently, my guess, or that they like 
they cut it together and they're like, this movie is only 78 minutes long. Shit. You know, and we got to add 10 minutes. You yeah. Know, it was one of those kind of things. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's, let's pat it out. It's, there's a strange sense of trying to be artistic in, in the opening shots specifically in when the kids all get to the camp and there's that kind of like slow pan as like all the kids are rushing the camp and running around. Yeah. But then there's stuff that's so incompetent. Like I was saying on Twitter, on Twitter earlier, there's, a, a wide shot of someone talking and it cuts to a mid shot of the same person while she's talking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, she's, like... but she's moved enough. So it's clear that the cut is like really just bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? What is this? Yeah. What is this movie? I sort of enjoy the weirdness and the brutality of this particular movie. Uh, maybe, but not the Turkey baster in what Here's do you call it? In I know it's free. completely different. I'm it just, is completely you know, different. Yeah, because you don't have to defend yourself. I'm just being an idiot. I'll say, yeah. Well, you know, this is going to a place. Okay. Uh, maybe if it didn't end the way it did, I would just say that was a freaking crazy movie. Mm. But I think this is this is an '80s teen slasher that just turns every aspect to a preposterously high level. That's true. Uh, and I think that's the quality of it. And so in the incompetence is a little endearing for me, at least. <laughs> it was and not also for me, <laughs> like the, the death scenes, like you said, like, like how he died. That's so un- it's, it, he's unnecessarily bad. They are unnecessarily accepting and he dies unnecessarily uh, gruesomely. gruesomely. <laughs> and so those are the things about it that, I think makes it uh good, you know, that in, enjoyable, fun to watch. I, I agree. Reason. I mean, I sleepaway camp is, I, I don't, I've seen it. I don't know, four or five times. I mean, I've seen every 80s slasher movie four or five times. It's stupid. How many of these movies <laughs> I've seen. Um, and I didn't even have HBO like you did growing right, up. I just right. like, I don't fucking know how I did all this anyway. Um, but this is one of those movies that I find kind of endearing because it's just so dumb. Right. But, in a kind so of bad. in kind of a charming sort of way, but not like the sequels were. Right, right, right. Well, the sequels kind of like understood what they were. Yeah. Whereas this movie was like, we're gonna make a slasher movie that's crazy. Yeah. You know, and they did, but not crazy good. You know. Sure, but like you could feel the craziness runs in its blood. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, and like which I, I I like watching. It's like I don't know how this is. The first time I saw it, like, I don't know how any of this is going to go. This is insane. The kills yeah. are also spaced way too far out in this movie. There's all kinds of weird interstitial scenes where people are, like, playing volleyball or baseball. Or they're doing activities, and you're just watching them do activities yeah. in between the kills that happen very occasionally. It's summer camp. Yeah. <laughs> Although, my favorite, my favorite line in the movie comes when they're playing baseball, and someone says, I believe to, to Ricky eat shit and die to which he replies eat shit and live <laughs> which i think is a great comeback <laughs> yeah um but what what else about i mean so it uh, there's kills and like angela kind of gets a boyfriend like a guy likes her and yeah like they ricky's so, friend from right and so they make out and but she freaks out and she leaves mm-hmm. um am i forgetting anything no, I mean, so basically and, anyone who's mean to Angela starts getting killed. Right. That, that's that's the running theme. And if you don't know that it's Angela killing people, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Angela doing all the killing. She kills the popular girl who, like, calls her flat-chested or something like yeah, that. I don't stabs remember. her through the shower. Yeah. The most In, in the- an oddly bloodless, kind of bloody, but still just very strange way to shoot. <laughs> 
a shower scene murder. Yeah, stabbed through the back of the shower. I like that the killer, Angela, goes and rinses the knife off in the shower before yeah. turning off the shower. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, there, there are things like that that are kind of fun, you know? It's just like, oh, I'm going to rinse the, you know, get rid of as much evidence as I can. <laughs> and yeah, then there's the girl who's smothered and burned with the hair curler or the hair straightener. Right. Um, who else is killed? There's the, a guy the, in the, the boat the, who's the main the, the old guy who runs the camp. He gets killed, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, or does he just get fucked up real bad? He runs away, but I forget if he dies. It's memorable. Mel is the character's Mel, name. Mel, that's right. He's also a creepy old guy who's clearly hooking up with one of the girls, and I don't understand the why. popular girl. Meg that's is right. her name, and I'm like, why is Meg interested in this old-ass guy smoking a cigar who looks because this ancient? Movie, because this movie was written by a 30-year-old <laughs> man in 1982. That's why. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fucking it, 80s, Jesus. I know. The fucking crazy. Uh, anyway, so what's the big reveal at the end? Angela's killing everybody. Yeah. And this was this was something. I watched this with Sean. Behead's somebody, if I recall. Yes. Right? Yeah. Behead's, does, behead's the guy who wants to be your boyfriend? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's how they find her with him, with his decapitated head in her right. lap. Right. Um, and I saw this coming a mile away. <laughs> the twist is that Angela is not really a girl. Her real name is Peter, and she was the boy who survived the accident, and the aunt has been raising them, and she has been raising Peter as a girl, and that's why he's so fucked Because up. she didn't want to have two boys. Mm-hmm. She had Ricky, so she didn't want to have a second boy. Right. And so you find this out, and then you also get to see a naked Angela covered in blood holding this head with a penis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> you really need to see that after well, you do. Then, I mean, and that's the, the, the end of the movie. You yeah. just look at her face, and it just like kind of fades. And it she's turns like, green, ah! and then fades. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. She doesn't say anything either. She's like, <sighs> well, they. I, I've I've read an interview or saw it on YouTube or something with the woman who played Angela, and she's like, basically, I didn't, you know, know that that my character was a guy. And so they made a mold of my face. If you watch that shot, that doesn't look... It looks frozen. It doesn't yeah. look like an actual person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... This was uh, what modern, what millennials might not know, is a probably, until the mid-90s, probably later, uh, anybody who wasn't straight was either a victim or a perpetrator and was not just a person. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're, uh, you know, oh, really a man? Like, that was how, that was a way of showing that, well, of course, you're psycho. That's how you're. So, you know your insanity is manifesting itself yeah mm-hmm. um it's audiences at the time were expecting us were expecting one thing and then this movie gave them another and then yeah. speaking of flashbacks and speaking of that chris there is that's the flashback scenes where you see peter angela as a kid and her brother spying on her dad sleeping with a man and mm. then there's a weird scene oh, where i don't remember that sitting in a bed pointing at each other and they switch positions and i don't even understand what it all means <laughs> i don't remember any of that i don't get it at all it's very bizarre <laughs> so this movie is a time capsule uh, I'll say it is a time capsule of it. It is it is dialing up what movies at the time were doing. Uh, it is also like first of all, you would you would expect this twist. This you know one of them died, and then one of and it turns out this one's actually the other one. That's the that's at this point that's the oldest trick in the book. I 
Yeah. I don't, I don't know how it was. And when did this come out? 83? 83. 83. Yeah. But then also, like, it's unthinkable. This boy's been living as a girl. Like, that is another. <laughs> of course that would make him go crazy. Want to kill people. people. Yeah. yeah. Naked. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie, it's it's absurd. Um, it's it, it's not intentionally making a hateful statement about non-straight or non-gender conforming people. And, and it's I, not smart enough to do that. Right. That's what I think. I think it's just like they were writing. They'd be like, wouldn't it be weird if she was a dude? Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. that's what it was, you know? So because they were all, you know, by the time 1983 is, you know, by that point you're into the final chap. Well, actually there was no Friday the 13th in 1983. It was 80, 81, 82, 84. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Halloween had gotten away from Halloween, from Michael Myers was in the season of the witch. And you really had to change up your game. If you were going to make a slasher movie at that point, um, you either had to be more violent than everybody else, which Sleepaway Camp is not. Or weirder. <laughs> or weirder, which you could argue that it is. Certainly, pro- it probably was in 1983, um, <laughs> at least for a mainstream movie. For like an underground movie, it was probably Powerfully completely cool. yeah. tame. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I got to say, if you know, you're grading on a curve, it's good for what it is. I mean, it kind of, you know, it's ridiculous and kind of stupid and it's fun to make fun of. But... If they showed this at the Coolidge in the midnight Halloween thing, which I, yeah. would, I would not be upset. Yeah. I mean, that's the context for it. It's not, mm, this is an interesting departure for, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> Nobody else in this movie has ever been in anything else. So, you know. No, and you wouldn't have like document, you know, you, you have a four hour documentary about the Nightmare on Elm Street series because mm. there's so much going on there. There's thought put into that. The only thought with this was like, how can we make it crazier? And yeah. at the time, mm-hmm. uh, people were. It, it was Reagan's America. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, this is this is this was the most outlandish thing you could think. And, and it still looked like the seventies just a little bit. Right. Yeah. Because it was nineteen eighty three. Shorts which is and when, t-shirts. Which is when the seventies kind of ended finally. They still had the short shorts, like yeah. the really short shorts in this and movie. And the feathered hair. What yeah. is that the term when it's sort of like softs? Like yes. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do that. My hair's too straight. <laughs> so there you go. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I seen it. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> That's a fact. That is now a fact. I've seen it. Well, we should we should figure out another one to uh, <laughs> do for another time. Yeah, definitely. But yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that uh, is pretty much it for Spoiler Piece Theater this week. It sounds like uh, Evan's Spoiler Piece christened me into wanting to see Morris from America. Definitely. Yeah, I think you guys would like it. I, I mean, I don't think it's going to blow you away, but I think it's just a solid movie. Yeah. It's good. I think Chris is kind of middle ground to me on Sully. It means, well, there's good things about it. Uh, and it will not the things that it the shortcuts it take are not infuriating like they were in American Sniper, but they're also like you've already done this, Clint. Okay. Um Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp. I was also gonna is. say don't don't breathe. I mean that oh, yeah. you know I mean, <laughs> you know, if you if you think you can get past the thing, okay. If you think you can't, well then you can. I mean yeah. it's either either option is fine. By the way, I hope that you know when I was doing my Riedel's recaps that um, I do not in any way find your interpretation of this movie incorrect. It's That's just, been the thing about it is that nobody disagrees in, in like yeah on the premise. It's just it's like yeah it didn't really affect me that way or it really affected me that way. Yeah. Um, nobody's like whatever. It was funny. Chill out. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had that reaction. I've just had people say yeah 
it, yeah, it didn't bother and me. then it went away mm-hmm. yeah and then finally sleepaway camp so um if you're into 80s slasher movies rock and roll if you're into bad horror movies and i don't say awesomely bad i just mean in my instance bad yeah it's bad <laughs> it's bad but it's still it's still you know what I, I would make the argument that it's better than uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. I mean, <laughs> uh, most movies are. Well, because but... I think there is a genuine uh, lack of knowing exactly what the point of all this is. Right. There is that. Going I mean, to make money, thing. I think, yeah. is the big point. But anyway. And so um, you have this ridiculous concoction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ridiculous concoction. That's the name of a band. Yeah. Um, but anyway. That just about wraps it up here. It's Boiler Face Theater. Thank you for joining us this week. My name is David Riedel. You can find me uh, on Twitter at The Rid. I also write for Salt Lake City Weekly and Fandor. I'm Chris Jensen. You can find me on Twitter at Etstuberite. I'm a contributing writer at Civil Weekly, Civil Weekly, freelance writer in Boston. That's why I write. I don't speak, yeah. <laughs> except here. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm founder and editor of Boston Real. My name's Evan Crean. I'm a contributor at NewEnglandFilm.com, uh, marketing director for Boston Real, and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living, in which you can find horror movie chapters, how to survive a horror movie, which mention Sleepaway Camp, and the wisdom you can glean from it. <laughs> <laughs> Not from watching Sleepaway Camp specifically, no, but horror movies But horror generally. movie generally, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, and you can find the show on Twitter at SpoilerPiece. You can find it uh, to download, listen to, etc., on iTunes and our host site, spoilerpiece.libsyn.com. You can find us on uh, Stitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us uh, on the interwebs, spoilerpiecetheater.com. Um, spoilerpiece.com. Spoilerpiece.com. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Spoilerpiece Theater is the name of the Facebook page. I always get that a little bit wonky. Um, you can send us an email, spoilerpiece at gmail.com. And you can call us at 86221peace. You can lead us an old-fashioned voicemail thingy and we'll talk about on it on the show. Go- old-fashioned on Google Voice. <laughs> on Google Voice, that's right. And uh, for those of you listening at home, we hope you had a good time and we will see you next week. Later. Later. Bye. So what's your biggest win? <laughs> My biggest win ever at a casino is um, I had never played craps before, and I went to a bachelor party in Atlantic City. And my buddy Adam uh, was like, let's play craps. I'm like, I don't know how to play craps. And, and he's like, just do what I do. So I did what he did, and we both won $2,500 in an hour. Ooh, Rick. hello. Yeah. <laughs> so. And what he did was also not know? Or no, just no, no, no. He just – what, what he his strategy is, and I don't know whether the strategy just worked that night or it always works or what, he just covers the board. You diversify your portfolio. You diversify your portfolio. <laughs> your crapfolio. <laughs> you might say.